Wired helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast by The Muslim Vibe, sponsored by Wahid Invest. My name is Salim Khas, I'm the, I'm the chief editor of The Muslim Vibe. This week I'm joined by two panellists on uh, Women Like Us, um, which is on British Muslim TV, I believe, right now. That's correct. Um, you'd probably do a better job at presenting, at least I know Sabah, we've, I've we've done this the other way around yeah you've interviewed me yeah it's very strange being on the like the <laughs> other side of the coin oh. but um no thank you both for, for for joining us i think um we were we were discussing beforehand um you know the recent work that's been done around uh looking at women's uh access to to mosques and things like that mm-hmm. i think it's quite pertinent considering the show that you guys are doing is like a women only panel show discussing issues that you know concern women um, so I guess the first thing is, you know, do you think and do you perceive that there is a problem in our centres with regards to access for women and, and having women's spaces? Have you guys personally experienced that or had any any experience in that space? Um, I think I think there is a problem with misogyny and patriarchy and so on in our community. It doesn't mean that it's innately Muslim. Yeah, it exists across society because it is a form of structural oppression. You know, it exists within the institutions. Uh, from you know healthcare to education spaces to work um, and our mosques as well. Um, I on the show actually, um, which airs every Thursday at eight pm on Sky eight four five. Shout out all you need. Yeah, <laughs> Sky eight four five and repeats on Sundays at four. Thank <laughs> We've you. Trained a while. <laughs> yeah. um, the I, I gave uh, an example of um, when I was first elected. Um, as the president of the National Union of Students, it was it was around Ramnan that we had like our intense kind of training period. And I felt very lonely and isolated and I really want to connect wanted to connect to the community. So I wanted to go to Tarawih. And I was living in Walthamstow uh, Central then and um and I remember going to about four or five different mosques one by one and turned away at every single every single room at the end yeah every single one and then finally there was kind of the biggest in the area that i was directed to by a brother and it was like three stories high and then i was told uh you know yeah yeah just go there it'll be fine and i went and then they were like sister you need to go home there's absolutely no women's spaces here and then a, a woman who lived across the road actually recognised me. She was like, oh, you're the woman from the news. And then she took me into, <laughs> and she took me into her house. She said, you could pray in my house. We've got the live recording. Oh, and she told wow. me the whole story about how women in the area have been requesting it for so long because mm. they tend to go there for the madrasa up until 12. And then at 12, they're told, that's it, you're a woman, now get out. Yeah. And she said that, you know, that we give money to this mosque and we, we invest and we invest and we invest. And yet we don't even have our own spaces. Mm. That's that's tragic, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And what about yourself, Summer? Yeah, no, I can completely relate to what Marley is saying. I think I read something like over a third of mosques, of our mosques, lack uh, spaces for women, which is really sad. And I've experienced that myself on a personal level. Um, I it's, it's actually really tragic. Like, I've stopped going to mosque 
because I know and the mosque close to where I live will not have space for me mm-hmm. or you have to go super early uh, to get a, a, a place to pray and I don't have the time to do that and so I'd much rather pray at home which I have been doing for the last couple of years mm-hmm. and I would like to go to mosque because there's a nice feeling being together and praying in congregation but I, mm-hmm. I just can't do, do that. You, do you think though that it, it sometimes then turns people away from, from Islam uh, in its essence as well? Mm-hmm. Or, although obviously I think Across the board, there's this kind of acceptance that this is Muslims um, that are causing the problem in terms yeah. of like, you know, our mosques and the, the mosque in the time of the Prophet were open spaces for yeah. everybody, Muslim yeah. and non-Muslim as well. But as society has kind of progressed, we've developed these spaces and, and, and they've moved away from what's the, the true Islamic understanding of what this space should be. Yeah. Um, so have you seen or, or do you think that this then manifests in people just abandoning the faith altogether like becoming disillusioned yeah i wouldn't say abandoning the faith but Mm. becoming disillusioned i think that's a real thing like this notion of ummah when translated is it's community it's togetherness and when you're telling women at the door sorry there's no room for Mm. you to pray here people are going to think you know what is this and i've felt that myself as well what are you going to say no i was going to say that i think it's twofold i think we can't forget the reality for most today, which is that we are living through really politically contentious times where mosques are being targeted by the state. You know, it isn't just like the far right groups that are organizing You're the holding state. Back, are you? No, but the state is actively <laughs> going after mosque spaces, is demanding cameras to be installed, is demanding, you know, a, a thorough screening of everything from the training to the boards to like what it is that we deliver in our khutbas. There is an over policing of the space. And that, what does that lead to? It leads to a, a reinforcing of internal oppressions mm. because you're on such a, uh, um, you're de- trying to defend the space so hard that what you then do is close it, keep it very, very closed and build walls around it and stop incredibly important conversations like the questions of gender equality uh, from being an open topic in which everybody can can have an input. Um, and I think, and on the other hand, you've also got, you know, the fact that, like I said, discrimination and oppression of women exists exists everybody uh, it exists everywhere and within everybody um and i think that we have to within our communities have a very honest conversation around well what is the purpose of the mosque because mm. if it's there to exist for the sake of existing then surely it goes against the very foundations of of why we have mosques to begin with right there is no point if we're not able to unload to use it as a space of organizing to use it as a space of therapy of dealing with trauma of dealing with um of supporting one another as you know all with the intention of serving god um and on the other hand i think they're being rendered into completely redundant spaces and we have to be really cautious of that and i think mosque leaders elders community leaders either are gonna have to make the very difficult decision of having to take on our government around these questions and serve the ummah in the way that it needs to or it could carry on in its path in which case young people are going to continue moving away from that space mm-hmm. not wanting to invest in it not wanting to associate with it and even like in discussions with non-muslims sometimes having to make excuses uh, and, and saying that they're not me, they're not my Islam, they're not, and, and it creates and reinforces so many divisions. 
And I guess also uh, tying into your experience um, with the NUS that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I guess congratulations as well for, for achieving what you did um, at the time. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it, it's hugely commendable. Um, and, and obviously, I think most of like the young Muslims in the UK kind of followed your journey and, and your experience through <laughs> that. And like, I, I'd see you every now and then on like Channel Four and be like, it, it was not, it was causing it was trouble. Ca- causing trouble as always. I mean, you know, you're not you're not shying away from it, which is no. which I think is great, but. Did you did you find um, that being number one a woman in mm-hmm. that space was an issue, and also being a Muslim? I, I know there were obviously yeah. there was a, there was huge um, issues there, but I think more from like the female perspective when mm. it comes to and like we've we've talked previously on the podcast about um, women in politics. Yeah, we had Naz Shah on. Oh yeah. Um, obviously, Bradford West MP who who was talking about her journey and just even in her election campaign, she had the kind of. Um, the more back home minded Muslims in Bradford, the uncles, the, the uncles <laughs> yeah. were um, campaigning quite hard against her. And it was a very mm. dirty campaign because yeah, it was, purely yeah. because she was a woman. Yeah. Um, so did you face any of that either from within the community or externally, mm. and also tied into like being in that kind of wider public sphere as mm. a Muslim? Yeah. How, how did how was all of that for you? Yeah, I think that it it just meant that the abuse and the violence was really amplified. Um, violence. A, a, a form of like institutional violence, like the way that everyone from the government to the Israeli embassy to uh, you know my own organization all came after me all at the same time. In every like the attacks and the onslaught was unprecedented, like to the point where white male Tory MPs would come up to me and say, your treatment is unbelievable and I would like to help. You know, it's to that extent. I was like, damn, you're like on the politically opposite side of me and you feel sorry for me. Like, there is something wrong here if I even have your pity at this point. Um, But I think that because it is open season on Muslims, like, and I think it was, it was, a you know, like the, the time of my election was... Uh, very telling that you found the likes of Sadiq Khan, who again I would say is very politically different to me, um, perhaps sits m- m- far more to the right than I do, um, and yet received an onslaught of Islamophobia from yeah. you know uh, um, from you know across political parties and across society. Then you had me, you know, very vocally opposed to the Prevent Agenda, very vocally in solidarity with Palestine and BDS and so on. Um, and, and yet we still receive that treat. And Nadia Hussain as well, like for British Bake Off. So I think that, um, like I said, it's open season on Muslims. Mm. But when you have Islamophobic policies being churned out by our government, legitimizing this form of hate, then it just becomes totally acceptable. Yeah. It's, it was totally acceptable. But on the other hand, I think as a Muslim woman within my own community, because there is this thing where we believe that Muslim women can take anything and can do everything whilst taking on everything was a a really big problem. So I think that when you see male Muslim leaders, there is much more of a rallying from our community leaders and institutions and establishments to Mm -hmm. totally, and not just financially, but I'm talking about manpower, literal manpower, support, whether it comes to the media, legally speaking, there were so many things where, you know, I'd have people say, why didn't you take the papers to court why didn't you do this why didn't you do that and I said like I am only one person Mm. and the people around me my base are left-wing activists young Muslims people of color like these are people with no infrastructure no institutions Mm. no no actual um uh, you know like resource power so to speak um and I think that 
and then you see the response when it comes to men within our communities, whether they choose to run for MPs or mayors of London or whatever. And the response is very different. Um, and I and, and we speak about this a lot on the show, that there is almost an invincibility associated with Muslim women, that we can keep taking on a violence and we take it on, we take it on, we take it on. And then when reports come out around Islamophobia showing that Muslim women deal with the brunt of the attacks a lot more, there is like, no, but, you know, it's not the same. And there is almost like a need to tone it down as though to, like, take away from the amount of pain that we actually carry and yeah. deal with every single day. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say I had it from both sides. But Muslim communities, like, on the ground were incredible and had my back and I'd have aunts and uncles and anyone and everyone and muslims around the world like contacting me saying if there's anything i could do even matchmaking websites saying <laughs> like hey if if the student movement needs hooking up let us know i mean alhamdulillah the student movement that's the one area they really don't need yeah. <laughs> they don't need work on but just to show like that you know people on the ground definitely yeah. were that. i'd say there was there was a difference between the elite and on the ground. And I guess, um, Saba, coming back to uh, the show itself. So, obviously, it, it, the show is called Woman Like Us. Yeah. Plug it again. When is it? What, what channel? <laughs> so, uh, it's on British Muslim TV every Thursday at 8pm. Yeah. Um, and you can also catch it online um, via live stream on the website. Um, and yeah. uh, tell me a bit more about um, what it is, what kind of the format, what kind of things you discuss. Yeah. Cool. So Women Like Us, it's, uh, it's a women's panel show. It's a, in a kind of lifestyle magazine type format. Uh, and we discuss a, a whole range of issues that we believe as Muslim women affect us on a daily basis. But these are things that aren't necessarily kind of things that are discussed in more mainstream spaces. So the idea of the show is that it's created by Muslim women and for Muslim women. Uh, and we own the narrative uh, around these things rather than constantly being spoken about. So some of the things that we have spoken about on the show include um, Islamophobia, racism, uh, parenting, marriaging, marriage, <laughs> this notion of um, halal dating and what that means, uh, the question of how halal is halal uh, when it comes to meat and various other things. Um, we've spoken about impossible beauty standards, um, the rise of the so-called modest fashion, industry uh, and we really kind of uh, explore and dissect the debates around all of these topics mm. as well because they're, they're such broad things yeah. um, and really uh, like a 46 minute show is not enough mm. to, to cover such contested terrain but we, we do the best that we can um, yeah that's the show um, so I guess with with the topics that you mentioned um, one I think that stands out is definitely one that's been quite big over the last few years is the modest fashion um, industry industry movement whatever uh, we want to call it yeah uh what i mean not not giving too much away but what kinds of things were, were discussed or what, what's the discussion around that that you guys had on the show um one of the things that we discussed uh was whether the modest fashion industry is nothing more than a capitalist money-making machine you know this idea that modest clothing has been a thing that muslim women have been wearing and donning for absolute forever but why yeah. is it when all these kind of massive corporations have kind of put this label of modest fashion on something that it then legitimizes the sales of you know like 90 pounder buyers or something or when uh, big brands um high street fashion shops choose to um start selling abayas and hijabs that it's fashionable to to start wearing yeah. them so those are the sorts of questions um that we were looking at. Yeah, and I think I think we also related it to the fact that um, 
that there seems to be no interrogation interrogation around why it is that we weren't within those campaigns and within that industry to yeah. begin with. Like, why couldn't you see a hijabi on like a, a shampoo advert? Okay, I'm glad you brought that one up. No, no, because what I find really interesting about that particular incident uh-huh. is the fact that we're talking about a, a shampoo advert. Yeah. You would expect to see hair. Yeah. I'm not saying that you would want a hijabi to take her scarf or for that, but like, isn't that the purpose of it? And and and, and why do you need to see hair? Well, isn't it's like if you're if you're advertising hand lotion, you're going to okay. show some hands, not like gloves on hands. Does that make sense? Okay. But um, but the point is that she's telling you in the advert that she has hair and that it needs but, taking but, care of. No, but so so as in the thing is because you mentioned the sort of um, the whole cap- capitalism element of things uh-huh. and uh, like the, the feeling that I have generally speaking, obviously you know existing in the kind of working with the Muslim vibe for the last. Mm-hmm three and a half-ish years, obviously you start seeing trends and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And one thing that big, a lot of big businesses are doing now is is really capitalising on the brown pound and especially yeah. on the Muslim the pound, Muslim right? Pound. Yeah. And if they can use um, influential figures, yeah. like Pearl Daisy, for example, uh-huh. in that whole um, situation, to sell a product, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. Whether it kind of entirely makes sense or not, okay. they'll still go ahead and do it. Yeah. And, and I think that like it needs to be genuine. From my perspective, I think that these, you know, these... Attempts to, to kind of integrate and use Muslims in terms of yeah. marketing and, and whatever else it might be needs to be a genuine attempt. Because often what you see is that when when there are kind of homegrown um, uh, avenues, products, whatever it might be, that's like from within the Muslim yeah. community, we don't support it as, as a community. Yeah. It gets no outside support mm-hmm. either. Uh-huh. Whereas you'll get big businesses who will come along and say, oh, we're doing this now for you. It's, it, well, it's liberalism, isn't it? We think we've made it. We think that like we're starting to take on Islamophobia because there's a hijabi woman on a L'Oreal it, advert. Like that's that's but it, and, it, and but but then it's for spaces like women like us. It's for discussions. Yeah. It's for uh, a re-education for access to political spaces and so on. And even like discussions around social media spaces like the Muslim life mm. to to unpack that. Yeah. That actually like representation in and of itself is deeply problematic and particularly when it relates to capitalist endeavors like if ultimately all you want is to make money off the back of the fact that you hardly find us within those spaces that is deeply problematic it just reinforces our oppression right do you also think that there's a a notion amongst some i'd say sectors of minority communities that if we get white man approval Uh so to speak Mm. then that's good like we've done it yeah that, 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 uh, 100%, that is a thing, right? and that's why I said like it's deeply problematic. But I think there was a disruption to that by Which the fact by the fact that based on her, you know, tweets around the occupation of Palestine, yeah. she was she, she was effectively forced out. Mm. Um, and and the same with the black trans woman Monroe mm. Bergdorf Bergdorf before her who had tweeted out against white supremacy following the Charlottesville kind of murder of the of, of the activists yeah. and, and the far-right marches in the States. Like, they, th- they themselves had shown their campaign for what it was, which was totally superficial um, and problematic in that what they want is the depoliticized brown woman. Yeah. They, they don't want to interrogate why that brown woman was in that space to begin with. Yeah. Uh, they just want to kind of say like, we're allowing you in now. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that in some ways it was a wake up call to Muslims that 
this is this is what the liberal arguments around representation are trying to force upon us is to have no opinions around yeah. our oppression yeah. historically but politically the thing is though how many um how many more times is this going to have to happen before people kind of open their eyes to, to the reality of what's going on because i think it's it's difficult. I, I mean, obviously, I, I think we're, we're agreeing to quite a, quite an extent yeah. as to the issues here. But I've always seen it like in isolation, you see these issues. So like there's, there's one story that, that, that happened a few years ago, Nur Tagori, uh-huh. um, featuring in, in Playboy. Uh, Playboy, doing yeah. an interview in Playboy magazine. Um, and that was another one where like I, I had, for example, written an article in response to that saying that it served their agenda mm. more than it served ours uh-huh. as like a Muslim community because they sought to, to soften their image as yeah. Playboy and be like, oh, look, we have Muslim hijabi journalists in there tick now. The box, yeah, yeah we, you know, to tick the boxes. Mm. And, and whilst we might have got exposure or Muslims or, or Noor in particular might have got exposure to a different audience, ultimately their agenda is much bigger and it, it served theirs other than, you know, rather than ours. And I think, um, and one of the things I like about British Muslim TV as well is that it is a sort of from the community independent media platform, similar to kind of what we're doing with the Muslim yeah. vibe. Um, started and from the bottom now. We're <laughs> <laughs> started, exactly, started from the bottom. But, um, but that's, I think that's the difficulty that I think until um, Muslims start to recognize and appreciate the work of of platforms like this and also you know shows like women like us where mm-hmm. you're having genuine conversation from within it's not contrived there's no like ulterior agenda mm-hmm. to try and shape women in a particular yeah, way yeah, it's just yeah. muslim women talking about issues that can that concern them completely unfiltered uninterrupted it's very organic conversations very yeah. honest conversations that we have and um we don't really hold back on that show. Um, I watch some of the things back, and I, I think I, I hold back a bit. But Marley and Aina sometimes go in. You see, I think I'm holding back, and even like family and friends yeah. that watch it are like, "Great comments, great comments." But you were so holding back on that. You were so holding back. Like I know your views on how far yeah. you could have gone with this and that. Um, but largely as well because it, it's not that I'm holding back. There is. A limited time <laughs> that if it was true, like true, a, true. a day conference and panels then then obviously but also um i think that what we also talk about and this relates to the nortoguri thing and who you actually interviewed yeah i you? did a few years ago um before or after after oh how was that <laughs> she was actually really lovely yeah. no i imagine she would well the reason we got the interview is because we, we couldn't really speak too much about playboy <laughs> But but one of the aspects that we brought up was the burden on Muslim women that sometimes like they just want to say YOLO like you know yeah. what I mean like that why did she and so many others have to hold the weight of representing the whole Muslim community yeah. 1.8 billion yeah exactly why does she yeah. you know why why must we dissect interrogate when no I, I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen yeah. that all these questions start to rise on rise up because. We, there is undeniably a special form of violence inflicted upon Muslim women that mm. we do get it from every end. Mm. Uh, and it has to, and, and we need those spaces in which we can speak honestly about them. Yeah. Um, and, and we can be critical of ourselves and those around us without reinforcing the oppressions, you know, that, that we deal mm. with and battle with. Um, and I think that, it, you know, to answer your question around how many more times it's going to have, it's going to keep carrying on. It's going it, to probably in the millions, like 
Until the revolution, at least. Um, <laughs> Mali will be leading. Is this, is this the mean, Corbyn revolution? Or is there another one? Corbyn is just part of... Oh, okay, part, part of the journey. Of, like, part and part, parliamentary politics is not really the answer, although we must absolutely show up <laughs> at the ballot uh, come when, when Theresa May finally bloody calls the general election. Yeah. Um, but I think that... No, but I think it is really important to understand that, like these interruptions are somewhat necessary for us to, mm. to to keep on with the discussion, to reform ourselves, to reform the spaces that we organise in, to develop, you know, to break out. And I think since then, a lot of... And, and I even wrote a piece around it, which was that your silence will not protect you. This yeah. is what I've long been saying. I have so many people from the estab- Muslim establishments, you know, who reflect on my presidency or my, t- mm. my time, like during the National Union of Students saying you should have just kept your views on Palestine like down under. I was like, what do you think elected me to begin with? I said, like, I led the National Union to vote BDS, which led all education unions after that. Like, this led to a national movement which Palestinians themselves recognise. If you wear a T-shirt with NUS, like, they recognise it as a radical thing in Palestine. Like, you know, yeah. and, and so this is this is so beyond like me being able to hold a seat of power mm. and I'll say, but maybe you should have just turned it around around this. And, and I said, but then it will just be every other leader you've ever presented yeah, for us, exactly. which young Muslims have no connection to, no faith in, yeah. that have done nothing but throw us under the bus. And I think that like, these are the conversations now that young Muslims are having, which is also the mm. need for spaces like women like us is because uh, there is a question of, like the experiences of Muslim women that is largely neglected yeah. and overlooked in those spaces. Like we sustain our community, we sustain the very spaces that claim to represent us. Mm. Yeah. And so we also need a space in which we can be, hold them accountable and be critical of them in order to like have an honest conversation and work towards the solutions. Mm. What is going to make it better? Yeah. And w- I guess with regards to solutions, um, where do you think they come from? Because uh, our approach, there's, there's different approaches that can be taken. So yeah. with the Muslim vibe, our approach is to look at the grassroots, look at people, forget the institutions, let's, look at, let's get to people on the ground, yeah. let's talk to them, let's start changing their minds on things, and hopefully as they grow older and nurture and, and our audience grows, we're able to, to influence a, a much larger base. Yeah. Right. But then you've also got the route of going down policy change and, and going to institutions and going to the mosques and getting the mm. leaders to change whatever and the khutbahs and whatever else. Yeah. So with with shows like Women Like Us, mm-hmm. um, where do you see as the direction that you'd like things to go and how you'd want to get there? I suppose with the, the nature of this show, it's the fact that we even exist is a form of resistance. The, the idea of existence is resistance. We're a counter to... You know, I think it's Mahmoud Mamdani, the um, academic, he has this idea of the good Muslim, bad Muslim. Uh, Good Muslim being the kind of streamlined, somewhat liberal Muslim that kind of fits within, or that might be a form of like government propaganda compared Mm -hmm. to the bad Muslim, the Malias of the world. Um, So So the fact that we have this space on kind of national uh, broadcast television, to to me is a form of resistance and we want more people to to know about the show and to engage with it because we are offering an alternative truth to what is out there and we say that with women like us it's we want to kind of introduce the conversations that people have been having 
for so long exactly and just to to really go into them to dissect them but to say actually the conversation does not end here we want you guys now that we've you know started something that things people have already been speaking about but for you guys at home to continue those discussions with your Mm -hmm. friends with your peers with your family members and do something about it it does not end here um and that's something that we really push out on the show and it's why we continually have our social media plugs not because you know not for the sake of it but because we want people to be engaged in in what we're saying so i suppose that's trying to make a movement yeah i think that also which often people forget we're not just like these personalities on the show all of us have like do so much outside of the show and this is simply a platform in which we reinforce the arguments around what we each do in our respective fields you've got Aina you know who who works as a journalist and is traveling all around the world trying to um archive and and reinforce the arguments around Islamophobia um I like physically organize wherever Mm. whenever I can whether it you know relates to to kind of the direction of the left in this country um or the question of young Muslims with Sakina Douglas who through the medium of like spoken word and through rap tries to communicate her political message messages across like Brussels and like she's all around the world yeah it's so hard to get a hold of that woman she's Um, always abroad somewhere it's true uh, and Sakina Lenoir is she in the States uh, I believe as well she's working between, she's another one that, again yeah, so I think everywhere. all of us are, are quite uh, are tried to reach every corners but yeah. we are we are also and we recognise this trying to do too much and this is why we need more people on board to, to kind of organise within local spaces I think so what you guys mentioned as well is really important about it's not just about having the conversations but actually backing up with action yeah. yeah and the fact that these conversations are not the end of the journey it's more like a culmination of all the things that you guys are doing everywhere yeah in all your different areas coming together and having the conversations that's what's key and it's similar to to this as well yeah so with with um whenever we get people in we're always talking about it's not just for the sake of the conversation no. but, but reflecting on and it's why it's always good to look at, you know, for example, your experience with NUS as well mm. and the struggles that you face and, and learning from that and then looking at how we can progress yeah. together. Because essentially um, what 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 BMTV are doing, what the Muslim Vibe are doing, what, you know, even our Islamic centres as well, we're all on the same side. Inshallah. Um, inshallah. Well, yeah, let's hope so, apart from the ones that are <laughs> prevent sponsored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Um, if if we're able to kind of have a sort of coherent strategy and work together, we can actually provide a better future for, yeah. for the communities, right? But until we're able to kind of come together, it's never going to be that way. I think that's the hope, but I think that, that, that there is a problem with how we understand unity. Mm. It doesn't mean that we're going to convert every single person to the struggle, so to speak. Not everybody is going to be on the same page, whether it relates to the the goals or the tactics like yeah. we have to be honest about that as much as we would love everybody to be down it's not going to happen and that shouldn't be a disheartening factor and i think particularly those young people that are coming out and, and starting or just people that have suddenly developed a political consciousness and want to take action mm. they feel so deflated when they hear you know the estab- like i said the representative establishments don't have their back don't necessarily all agree that prevent is really bad don't mm. don't like believe that we should be like in close cahoots with the tory party like all those mm. things that go fundamentally against 
the, the politics of what they're trying to lay out locally on yeah. the grassroots, right? And so that deflates them, it, it demoralizes them, it makes them think there is no hope, there is no umma, there's no unity, like we're screwed. Mm. And that's not the case because in the same way that like across society, within the Muslim society, there are people with different political views and different ideas about what, what like democracy looks like, what freedom to all looks like, uh, what equality for all looks like. And I think that while some are satisfied with having, you know, the likes of Amina in a L'Oreal advert, like the rest of us are like, we need to dismantle our whole political system in order to to to, to have a, a an ounce to start from a point of of, of gaining an ounce of equality in this society mm. that we have to start from scratch on so many levels we need to decolonize we need to do this and it takes a bit of everything to make up this society and there are times where we will come together on questions but don't be disheartened when we don't you have to carry on doing your own thing in your own space um and pick and your I, battles pick your battles but also I don't focus on having to to persuade the unpersuadable. Like just no. because they happen to be Muslim does not mean they're going to agree with you eventually, um, now or ever. And you have to recognize where your energy should go. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think um, I, I don't want to continue. That was that was deep enough to kind of <laughs> end on. Um, I guess just quickly, Sabah, where, where where and how can people connect with British Muslim TV and with the show? If you can just tell us a bit more. Yeah, um, so we're across all social media platforms. Uh, handle is Malia. The handle at British. At yes. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> we found the series, so I love it. Every single at episode, BNTV. we have this. So we've done this how many times, I'm Malia? Sorry. Wow. Go. I know the hashtag. Hashtag women, women like us. us, and the handle we is British Muslim TV. TV. Yes. And we are on Sky eight four five every Thursdays at eight pm. We repeat on Sundays at four, so grab yourself a cup of tea, drag the whole family into the living room, and sit and watch some badass Muslim women <laughs> breaking it down for you. <laughs> Brilliant! Thank you guys very much for your time. Oh, thank you, you for having us. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. This has been another episode of the TMV podcast by the Muslim Vibe, sponsored by Wahid Invest. Assalamualaikum. Wahid helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over forty states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.